Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Just so many burning talking points to get to on the Gegen Pod this week. We've got two former Premier League stars, Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges, joined by former Matilda Amy Duggan. From the top of the table to the relegation battle, a bit of Aussies overseas and the WSL too. That's all coming up on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Let's get in to the Gegen Pod. It was a transformative weekend of Premier League at all ends of the table, really. So many issues to get into. We have former Matilda Amy Duggan and former Premier League stars Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen joining us in the Gagan pod for this one. And Bridgie, I think we need to start with you and the North London derby. Give us your impressions as Arsenal defeated Tottenham 2-0 to move eight points clear at the top of the Premier League. Absolutely super impressive. Thanks for that. What a way to kick off the Gagan pod. We were absolutely smashed. And it, it, it it's always handy when you're playing with 10 men because Loris <laughs> was absolutely honking. And unfortunately, cost, you know, he made a few mistakes, but absolutely credit to Arsenal. They've been magnificent this season. Everybody has been waiting for them to slip up apart from the Arsenal fans and they just haven't done it. The The World Cup hasn't derailed them. They've come back. They've got a hunger in their belly. They've missed out on signings, but they still find a way. So super impressive performance and especially when teams in and around them in Man City, you know, didn't didn't um, get the points they deserved and Man United now in the title race as well. Thomas, let's go to you with one of the big issues off the top then. Hugo Lloris, four mistakes leading to goals this season makes him the most error-prone player in the Premier League. It looks as though it's going to cost Spurs a Champions League spot. Have they held on to him for too long? Uh, you know, I've got to fight his corner. Um, you know, again, as part of the goalkeeping union, I think uh, it's, it's been harsh. You know, yes, you know, he, his stats have come down this season. So, so we, 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 we got to, you know, we got to criticise him to, to some extent. And he has made some, some mistakes. I thought the deflection this weekend... Um, you know, me and Amy talked about it uh, on the highlight show. I think it's a bit harsh to call it an absolute howler. You know, I, I've been in that situation. You have to react uh, from a short distance, uh, and sometimes things happen. You know, uh, it, it just sadly came in a London derby. Uh, I think he has been one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Statistically, you can go in and look at it uh, over the last three or four seasons. Um, you know, we can look at Martinez as well. He, he's come back. He made a, mis- a, a horrible mistake against uh, Manchester United, uh, you know, after the World Cup. So it, it, it's, it, I think the grass is not always greener on the other side. And he's still a, he's still a top keeper. And, um, you know, again, you know, I think there's other issues as Tottenham, not just uh, Hugo Lloris. And, and, and are they really a top four side? I don't think I can't so. believe what I've just heard. Hugo Loris must pay his union fees as a lump sum every year up front because that is a stellar <laughs> defence. That is a stellar defence from Thomas Sorensen yeah, in is. the goalkeeper's it union is. there. 
Of course. He's part of the goalkeeper club yeah. now. He's part of the goalkeeper club and that's okay. I'm going to take a little more uh, straddle each side of the fence for you, Tom. I do agree that the mistake was, you know, uh, a bit of an overreaction. I, I don't think it was an absolute howler. I think, it, you know, he took a deflection. It was a little bit tough. Um he has made, though, four mistakes leading to goals this season. He, you know, he's known as the most error-prone player in the Premier League at the moment, which would be horrible to read personally. And I can't imagine it's doing much for uh, his confidence. Obviously, he's come out and retired from international football. I'd say there was a, a conversation before the World Cup about that, uh, probably from both sides, you know, from the coaching staff, but also from himself. And he's seen it as a smart option. He's 35. Uh, his peak was a little while ago, Thomas. So I know oh, that come on, um, Amy. goalkeepers come are on. supposed to get better with age. Come on, hey, come on. Come on. But he, honestly, um, he looks honestly. He looks to me at the moment like he's da- he's down and in need of a good holiday. He's lacking uh. focus. He's lacking a little bit of precision, I think. And <laughs> I'm assuming Tom not being a goalkeeper, but they're two elements that you actually need to be a goalkeeper. Not to remember also that he's. Um, you know, he is club captain and the second longest tenured member of that Tottenham team following Harry Kane. So, you know, let's just hope it's a lull and that his confidence can pick up and uh, and he can come back to a bit better form for club. Yeah, no. Because it won't be happening for country. No, but we got to, you know, we got to give him a little bit because he's he's come off a World Cup. Have we already forgotten? You know, he, he got France through that England game. He was tremendous against the Morocco as well. He was one of the best keepers at, at the World Cup. You know, you can look at the stats. So I think it's it's harsh, and and I think it's actually it's going to benefit him that he's he's retired from international football. It's going to clear his mind. I've I've been there. You know, sometimes you get to a point where, you know, you just need to focus a little bit more. So I agree with you. I think his focus has come down a little bit, but you know he's experienced, and, and you need experienced keepers, and and he'll be back. Uh, so even though 35, may I've, I played until I was 41, so uh, plenty of good years left. I'll tell you what. There's two things I've learned from the gigging pod so far. One is, Luis does need a holiday, and I'm happy to fly in there myself. And the second one is, Tommy, <laughs> have you been studying law? Because you are going to be unbelievable, either a great politician or great at getting people off with things that they're going into the courts for. What a load of crap. He's been shocking me. Oh. He was shocking. <laughs> well, Tottenham aren't much better, are they, Bridgie? Because no, they're 14 points exactly. behind the league leaders' arsenal. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> No, I, 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 Bridgie, I, I think that, you know, Spurs, do they make a change here? Is there anything they can do during the transfer window? So much of the focus is on Conte and uh, Levy and the supporter dissatisfaction. It's almost like uh, talking about individuals making mistakes is an inconvenience because so many Spurs fans want to go for the bigger picture rather than what's taking place on the pitch in front of them. But wouldn't that be the most obvious place to start, a change of goalkeeper? I think because it's club, he's club captain, it's very hard to do so. Uh, well, he's captain on the thing. I know Harry Kane and him share it when, as I like, they're both leaders. Um, you, you, he, like Tommy said, in the World Cup, he was magnificent. I've got to give him credit, but he just there's something. I, I think he needs a fresh change. I wouldn't be bothered if, if he went or we, we did actually bring in a new goalkeeper. But it's, it's the same thing that the fans have been saying for a long time now. Conte, I, I'm... I'm I'm bored of the football. I'm not enjoying watching it. And I never thought I would say that. So I would rather see a change in the management rather than just start blaming what's out there on the pitch because the players that he's got at his disposal, especially in the final third, I'm, I don't know what's happened to Son. He's obviously not enjoying it. They're playing a very, oh, what should I say, Def- defensive-minded setup, and that's not enjoyable to watch. And I don't think some of them players are embracing it. 
they they have been the site of comebacks, obviously. Um, this season to Bridgie, like they're just not coming out in the first half ready to play. Um, you see it, it gets better as the game goes on in, in, you know, it's like they cop a rocket at halftime, but I also think, you know, three points from their last five home games is not, is not good enough, but um, especially with the roster that they have, but they just seem to not be adapting on, you know, I think we look back at last year and we go, well, we're expecting the same. We wanted them to be solid in defense. Um, Kane, Kulisevsky, Son, they combined beautifully. They created some magical moments and we're just not seeing that at all this season. So something's off. It's like when you open the fridge and you can smell, smell sour milk, but you just can't put a find kid, it. Put a kid in a sweet shop with a dollar, right? Or a lolly shop. Give them a dollar and say, be careful what you buy. You've got to be very, you know, very discreet. Don't go... And you know, you're looking around and they're all oh, a little bit sheepish and sheltered, right? And then take them outside and take them in the next day and give them an open wallet and say, spend what you want and watch them go absolutely mental and crazy and have a smile on their face. You're saying Tottenham come from behind, right? That was one of my stupid analogies. You say Tottenham keep coming from behind because when they get licensed in their behind in games and he says, we need to go and win the game now, they're 2-0 down. They do find a way at times to do it. Because that's how the players want to play. You want to play an attacker style of play. So it just shows I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm just gutted that Conte hasn't seen this and thought, you know what it is? Stuff it, let's just try, let, let me change my philosophy to adapt to this group of players that I've got because they're performing better when they're on the, when they're proactive. Let's talk about the winners, Arsenal. Now, the weekend started with something that may well have thrown the club off and set them back, and that was Chelsea parading Mihailo Mudrik around Stamford Bridge, the Ukrainian breakout star of the Champions League group stage this season. Chelsea able to trump Arsenal after swooping in late. Arsenal had been negotiating with Shakhtar Donetsk for months, only for Chelsea to come in and go bingo bango and blow Arsenal away. Thomas, what does it say about the Gunners' mentality that perhaps one of the players they'd been pinning their colours on for this transfer window to try and keep their title challenge going, missing out on him, didn't throw them off at all, and they were able to essentially focus on matters in front of them for the North London derby and get the job done? You know, I, I like what uh, Arsenal are doing from top to bottom. I, I think the Gronkes are running a, a tight ship. Um, you know they've reduced. Uh, you know they, they they came out with 45 million in uh, in a negative uh, at the last budget. Uh, they had a tough time of during the you know the coronavirus and everything else. They're not in the Champions League, so they got to look after the books. And you know they've changed the strategy of going for young players, not overpaying, keeping a you know a, a, a tight wage structure as well, which um, I think bodes well for 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 where they're going. Um, and, and they're not overpaying. I think, you know, what Chelsea have done, gone out, uh, promised the world, they've, they've, they're going to play a friendly in Ukraine as well as part of the deal. Um, you know, so, so I, I like it. They're, they're, they're keeping their powder dry. I'm sure we'll see in the summer they're going to they're, they're gonna spend. It might in the short term leave them a little bit uh, thin. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know, I've I got huge respect for... For, for that whole strategy that Arteta did, they seem to be on the same page. And you can look at Chelsea, on the other hand, and, and you know, what's going on there? They're just <laughs> signing players left, right and centre. And, and what's the bigger picture? We will get to Chelsea, but let's focus on the Arsenal side of it, Bridgie. Um, they've been trumped for both Joao Felix and Mihailo Mudrik. They're, they're not seemingly now uh, strongly linked to anyone. So... Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, they're all on fire at the moment. How do they sustain that title challenge if any one of them get injured? 
and and basically the depth isn't there. Do Arsenal sign Leandro Trossard? Do they basically roll the dice on their best eleven, staying fit for the rest of the season? No, they can't do that. But it's like Thomas has just said there. They've they've got a structure. They've got a, they've got a they'll have a wage thing. They'll have a budget. They're sticking to it. They're not going to break the bank. Chelsea have just been absolutely crazy. It's on a different scale, and I think it's ludicrous. I don't know how financial fair play hasn't caught up with them. I don't know who's reporting to who, who's making the actual signings there. Arsenal have got it absolutely spot on. I think Arteta would love to have that luxury, but he doesn't want to disrupt what he's got going on at the moment. Now, I thought they may have struggled with Jesus being out after the World Cup, but I'll tell you what, Nketiah has come in. He was on loan at Leeds. I saw him play there. Arteta has put faith in him and he's given him a few games and what has he done? He's been scoring goals for fun as well. He's, you know, They've got a lot of talent coming through and I, I respect Arteta for saying, hang on a minute, let's not just go out and go and get somebody that might change the dynamics of this club and this squad at the position that we are in at this moment in time. We've seen it happen to Man United with Ronaldo. That didn't work. And I respect that he's given kids that, uh, the opportunity that he knows have won World Cups and, and have been there with Arsenal um, youth team. So if they're, if they're good enough, uh, sorry, if they're, yeah, if they're good enough, they're young enough and get them in. I respect it. I think they'll be fine. I really do. But if they need to push the panic button, they will because he's, he hasn't been stupid with his money. And I think they'll back him. Yeah, I agree with you, Bridget. And he's, uh, you know, Arteta's said we've got good young players even in our own stocks. It's not as deep as we'd like it to be, but they are here and they'll just have to get better. They do, um, you know, they've got Vieira. They do need another striker. They do need, you know, a wide forward and they probably need some cover in the central midfield too. But they do have, you know, they do have players that can play multiple roles too. Emil Smith-Rowe can cover. Um, You know, he grew up as a number 10 We've seen him playing. I don't think he's as creative, but he can fill a hole. Um, Vieira's playing good, as we said. You know, there, there's a whole that there is a list there. there. There's also a whole list of targets. Like if you went to the rumor mill of the transfer mill, I, I don't know how these things, you know, get out all the time about who they're talking to. The list is still quite long. There was, you know, there was Zaha. There's uh, Luis Enrique. There's Liao. There's Kessie. Um, there was, you know, even Rapinho at one stage until he turned around and said, "I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm after more trophies here." So I, I think they're still looking, and they will find a couple of pieces to fill the puzzle but at the moment they're traveling okay and I think we have to stop putting um putting pressure on that you are going to get injuries if they're doing the right thing and these players are, are turning out and winning games comfortably and and not getting kicked off the park that they'll be all right in in the short term and they've got some time when Jesus comes back as well that's going to be like getting a new player as well for competition and the other I think I've got to say I do think that Arteta would have been gutted they missed out on Felix um, because I think his first 50-odd minutes before he got red card for Chelsea, we saw the quality that he had. I think he had about six shots on target. He was getting frustrated, and obviously that led to the red card. But Chelsea are getting nothing out of it, really, because just, it's basically just a, an expensive babysitting service. And I think that Arsenal looked at it and thought, you know what it is? There's nothing really in it for us to gain from this. The only winner is um, Atletico Madrid in the agents. So, again, I respect Arsenal for not going for that, but I think he would have been gutted because of the, the class player that he is. But I do want to push back on, on this point, Amy. I mean, if Arsenal don't win the Premier League from here, one game shy of the halfway mark, 
because they didn't reinforce their squad. This this would be one of the great missed opportunities. Manchester City not uh, having as good a season. Liverpool and Chelsea both off the radar. And Newcastle maybe the last season before they go bang and turn into Manchester City 2.0. I mean, Arsenal's window is open now. Surely... You, you break the wage structure and you push the barrow out just a little bit because you may not get this chance again for another 19 years after this season. Yeah, that, and that's, you know, that's a really great point and I'm sure that you know, their risk, uh, they're doing their own risk analysis on that stuff too, Taya. I do think they will sign someone in this window. I don't think they're going to not um, backfill the stocks. Will it be one of the superstars that we thought it would be? No, but you know, if you read about how the Chelsea... Um, you know, uh, pulling the rug out from underneath them worked. It was, Chelsea made it easy. Uh, it was about the wage structure more than anything. It was about how the payments were split. It was about all these add-ons. It was about realistic uh, bonuses in, 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 in their eyes. So, you know, Arsenal obviously have a little bit of work to do. And if they're making contact that early out, I guess the question is, is it just about money that this is taking that long or were they not really sure about him in the first place? And, and Theo, I think you're talking in certainties. Like you go out and spend millions and millions and, and, and you know, you're not sure you're getting. Uh, so, you know, I think you look at, if you look statistically on it, I don't think the best business is done in January. So, you know, there's no guarantees and, and, and yeah, I, I, you know, I, I like that they, at least in the short term, you know, uh, Amy, you, you lined it out, you know, Smith Rowe is, is coming back. I, I still think, you know, Vieira, they, they've got cover to some extent, you know, and, and you know, they shouldn't panic. So, um, you know, I, I agree that they, if, they, if a good deal comes up, yeah, go for it. If not, just, you know, stick with it. Tommy, I can't slag off the January transfer window, mate, because I signed two about... 20 minutes before midnight on the deadline in January, I was a panic buy for Hull City, mate. I was very, very <laughs> thankful that the January window was there. And what however, was your Hull stats, City, Bridget? What six was your stats? Oh, mate, honking one goal, unfortunately. One goal. That's why it was a panic buy, mate. I was shocking. <laughs> that was a big regret for them. In saying that, Newcastle, Newcastle's a... Newcastle's January window last year saved their skin. So, you know, yeah, yeah. sometimes it works yeah. if you've got the money. Now for the moment, Amy Duggan has been waiting for the Manchester derby. Amy, uh, the equaliser may have come from a goal that was offside, uh, so the win is tarnished. It, it has a. You're talking it rubbish. Has a You're talking rubbish. I'll talk you through it. that. In Taylor. any case, you get to enjoy the win. So, uh, Amy, what did you make of Manchester United rejoining the title race? That's all I care about right now. Eyes are on the prize, Tay, right up the top there. Um, can they win the whole thing? Probably not, but I'm okay with where they're sitting because if you'd asked me a couple of months ago, uh, were we even going to make the top ten? I was going, oh my gosh, we're going to be we're going to be the Chelsea um, <laughs> of this uh, this season. We're going to be like Liverpool. We're going to be like Chelsea. That's crazy. Um, so you know, I couldn't speak highly enough of Ten Hag uh, of some of the signings that he's made, the way that he's mentally changed this team. You know, Thomas and I got into this the other day too with uh, Casemiro signing and and um, how. How that came about and what an impact that's had. I think also, you know, as we've mentioned a million times, cutting out Cristiano has really helped. Um, but I do want to walk you through this offside, okay? Because um, offside has two parts, Teo. You have to be in an offside position. I am not, absolutely not saying that that wasn't the case because it was here. Rashford was definitely offside. You have to also commit an infraction in the offside by, uh, you know, touching a player or touching the ball. Was he impeding? 
He didn't impede anyone. Please. Um, I'm going, I'm going oh. with this as okay. Oh. <laughs> if the keeper wants to make a decision oh. to come out that far, that's the keeper's problem. He didn't touch a defender. He didn't touch the player. I'm going to stick on the Manchester side purely because um, I'm wearing goggles of love. Okay, Amy, explain to me the rule. If a, if a player stands in the line of a strike in front of the keeper, doesn't touch it, he doesn't... That's what you're saying. So then he doesn't interfere with play. No, that, it depends. So, but if he's blocking the if he's blocking the direct shot, Thomas, obviously, and if the goalkeeper only has eyes and it's a very small, we're we're way outside the box. Yeah, but here. does that not count for the defenders as well? When this when this movement happens, we're way outside. Does that not count for defenders? You know, as a defender, you take your position, you make your decisions. I would have guaranteed you, Edison would have come out from that ball if Rashford wasn't there. Um, I think there's a lot of decisions that Rashford interferes with, and, and that's my problem with it. Yeah, he, he, he interfered with Edison because Edison, obviously, he's come out. He's, he's, like, Akanji has played him offside. He's got the art of defending down to a T. He's playing a high line. He's seen him run offside. He's gone for the offside. The arm's gone up. Linesman hasn't given it. So then he's got to react to it. And then he's realised that Fernandez is through on goal, but Rashford actually runs in front of Akanji and block, kind of blocks him uh, or... Um, allows him not to make a challenge does he block him though Bridgie really does he does he block him and is this about decision making and playing the whistle and that's the question if they'd all stood up and the and the flag had gone up we, we would have played on anyway until VAR the flag did go up Amy the flag did go up I would normally go for the strikers union as you know he was I, I think it was the wrong decision I'm sorry I've got to I stick by me guns that was um because it was a can when I listened to a kanji given his decision and he's, he explained it, I thought, yeah, he's he's got a very very valid point. Now I know the laws of the game state that what happened were absolutely bang on, but they didn't take into account that I think he. Bridget, when did I say it was right? I just said I'm using it with my with my goggles of love. Um, because we got we got the result that I think we deserved. Yeah, I know. Right. One player who was integral to that result was Marcus Rashford. He is now the first Manchester United player to score in seven consecutive games since Cristiano Ronaldo's Ballon d'Or winning season in 2008. Uh, he also matched Dennis Violet's nine-game uh, scoring streak at Old Trafford, which is dating all the way back to 1959. So he's in absolutely top form. Probably begs the question, if he's matching the feats uh, at Manchester United of Cristiano Ronaldo's Ballon d'Or winning season, Amy, does it make him the Premier League player of the season? That's a big call, isn't it? But um, at the moment, he's in fine form. <laughs> right now, For def definitely for Manchester United, we're loving him. Uh, he deserves to have his name up in lights. I don't think he's the Premier League player of the season. The season's only halfway done. Um, I do want to keep in mind his last few years, though, and why we're talking about him. He's... Got a massive goal tally, lots off the bench. Then he spends a lot of time injured and plays injured. And I don't think that did him any favours over the last couple of seasons. But this season, he's back fully fit. We saw Ten Hag rest him even when he had a little knock until he was fully fit to be back. And I think he's showing us what he's got. He's 25 years old and having a cracking season. Let's just enjoy it for what it is. I can't believe, Theo, you're asking a Man United supporter for that question. And she's like, yeah, maybe he is. <coughs> Uh, you know he's had a great, I didn't say that. <laughs> he's had a great season, but I'm sure there's a couple of Arsenal players. I think Odegaard, I think, is well ahead of him uh, in my estimation. Uh, I think he's had a, an even better season. But yeah, season you know, so far. Yeah, I, but, hey, but, but there's already people, Bridget, that want to run him out of Man City because he hasn't scored yeah, in three it's, games. It's jealousy. Uh, it's <laughs> poppy syndrome. It's ridiculous. <laughs> 
Yeah, but no, Rashford has, has been a revelation. I think it's great to see what, what he's done. But player of the season, not quite. Well, just on, on Haaland, Bridgie, you've been the chief defender of Erling Haaland, but the, the team's inefficiency with him there, again, we know that he only needs a few touches to score goals and impact a game, but this is an example of when those few touches do not end up in goals. He had seemingly no effect uh, positive on Manchester City's performance in this match. I mean, is this getting you to start to rethink how he is deployed by Pep Guardiola and perhaps maybe concede a little bit of ground that he has not been a... Even though his individual numbers are brilliant, his effect on the team has not been a net positive for Manchester City. Seriously, please, go, go. He's got 21 goals in the Premier League, right? He's been absolutely amazing. Go back and have a look at the last two matches that he has played in, right? And just watch Haaland and his movement, right? and see how many times Manchester City midfielders or defenders or wide players could have played a pass into his path. And if you watch his body language and the way he kind of is getting frustrated because Man City were going side to side, it was, oh, let's rotate, let's recycle the ball. Go back and watch his movement and the space that he creates and how many opportunities, if they'd have threaded the pass through to him, he would have had a hat-trick in both games. Um, you, you, he, he plays such... He doesn't have to get a lot of touches on the ball because he doesn't need to drop into that midfield because they've got He's so many good players. Pretty. He is a number nine. He pins defenders. He runs off them. And unfortunately, the last few matches, there was a great analysis done. I think Alan Shearer did it on his last game. And if anybody gets the chance to watch it somewhere on other platforms, please do because it just showed you the amount of times that Haaland should have had the ball played to him. So I'm sticking by my guns, Teo. He is an absolute machine. He's ahead of the game. He's going to continue to score when Man City get to play in the ball and stretching the defence instead of playing too many ticky-tacky. I feel like um, City just fell back into that possession-based football that they were playing instead of looking for more yeah. more direct. Like I think at the beginning, if we go right back to before the season when we signed Hull and there were two question marks over him. One, how is he going to fit into what Pep does? And two, was his fitness. So he's had, yeah. you know, he's had a pretty good run, you know, touch wood for him with his fitness so far. He's not um, been injured very much. And I think the second question was, you know, we watched Manchester City go from, you know, swapping their three up front and moving around Around and playing really possession-based football to a more direct style of play where they did play him in early, Bridgie, where he made the runs and they and did play cross, him in early and it was working for well. them. And they seem to have just dropped off back into old habits. Yeah, no, but it also comes up... So the question should be, should Guardiola's change the system or at least tweak the system towards him, which, you know, was obvious maybe early on. And, and you look at the United game, I agree with you, Bridgie. I think, you know... They didn't utilize him, uh, you know, to to the optimum, and, and and I think at the moment it just seems like that's a bit off, and that's for Guardiola to because when you got a you know a talent like his, you know that that is something that you have to adapt to. He's not just going to not score any more goals for the rest of the season, Taylor. Let's <laughs> no. be honest; they're coming. Um, there will be more, you know. And it, I just want for, for you two out there and our listeners, if I was being totally Manchester United focused right here, I put my goggles back on and say he was marked out of the game by Luke Shaw. It was an awesome tactic by Eric Ten Hag to um, to take Martinez out and put Shaw in there to match his muscle, and that's how we did it. So, you know, I'm being realistic here. <laughs> he's he's a talent. He's amazing, and he'll score heaps more goals this season. Let's talk about the other title contender, especially if you base it on uh, the idea that Arsenal are catchable, and that's Newcastle. Their 
heading into a transfer window where they've been attached, as you can imagine, to anyone and everyone. But Bridgie, of these names, Piero Hincapi, the Ecuadorian centre-back we saw at the World Cup from Leverkusen, Leandro Trossard, who looks like he's leaving Brighton, it's just a matter of where, and then Chelsea, as they try to balance the books for all their spending, might offload any of Hakim Ziyech, Conor Gallagher and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. On the Newcastle shopping list, do any of those take your fancy or have you got other targets in mind? Oh, there's, there's plenty of targets. Um, do, do you know the one that I think is very, very likely to come off now? The way Trossard has been tret um, at Brighton or whatever's gone on, we don't know behind the scenes. But if you think of one of the main men now at Newcastle United in Ashworth, who has come in, um, he did amazing things at Brighton as part of the... Um, is, it, is it Dan Ashworth, I think it is? He, he, he's come into Newcastle United from Brighton. He's got a very good relationship with Trossard, so that that I can see happening because I know they've had the heart set on Madison, Tillersman. I still think there is movement there. Will it happen in January? I don't honestly know, but I think Trossard um, is definitely because of the relationship there. And the other one I would love to see is Conor Gallagher. Um, I, I really rate him. I like what he was all about at Crystal Palace when he got a lovely run of games in that midfield. Um, and it would be nice to see somebody because I think with Gimmerish being out now we don't know whether it's going to be two weeks two months um, with this ankle injury I'm sure they're going to get another midfielder in which has got that attacking flair so watch this space do you want to buy James Madison now while he's battling injury or do you have to wait until summer before uh, hitting go on paying whatever Leicester are asking for James Madison that's a great question Theo to be honest with you I think if I would if I was going to take a punt I would rather get somebody in in January that's going to be fit and then go for Madison in the summer because you don't know whether he's going to recover. You, he might have niggles till the end of the season. You might get him actually at a, a cheaper price than what you would be doing now. It wouldn't be as inflated after the, after what's happened. So, yeah, I think I think they've changed their priorities. He was the number one target, but ever since the World Cup not being involved, coming back injured, I think they're looking for somebody that can come in now and be absolutely flying to give them the kickstart or the, that extra little surge, like you say, because they are they are Premier League champion contenders now they're, they're in the title race there's no doubt about it Newcastle were 12 points clear when they lost it to Man United years ago under Kevin Keegan they were, uh, what is it nine points now behind is it nine points behind Arsenal um, it's still on and it, Man United are involved Man City are involved Arsenal obviously leading the title but this is going to be a cracking end of the season I'm, I'm so looking forward to the to the title race Listen, I feel like, you know, they're, they're definitely the quiet achievers at the moment for sure. And I think, you know, um, no one was, no one really believed you, Bridgie, at the beginning of the season when you told us they were going to finish top four. And uh, obviously we've discussed their spending spree last summer, which helped them. And if they get the right people this window, I might start actually believing you that they can make European football for the first time since 2003, Bridgie. I can't even believe I'm saying that. But what a remarkable turnaround and... Um, I actually, I'm actually rooting for them. I hope, I hope they do well. I'd love to see them back um, in the Champions League. It'd be awesome. As much as I'm a Sunderland supporter, uh, I have been in, like, I have been impressed with Eddie Howe, you know, and the, and the signings they they've made. You know, you can just see that, you know, the, you know, especially in the back line, you know, they've all fitted in. Uh, you know, now they've they've got Alexander Isak. He he he's back. Uh, Maximin came came on again so that's another addition uh, going towards uh, the end of the season so uh, I agree midfield then they, they probably need a bit of cover there uh, with uh, Gimaresh potentially being out for for a bit but I don't think they uh, they need to panic I, I think they can actually 
you know, sit there and, and, and uh, you know, wait it out and wait for the right deals to come. Uh, and if that's the summer, yes, uh, wait for it. You're listening to The Gag and Pod. After this short break, more Premier League, Aussies overseas, and we'll get into the WSL. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Gegen Pod. We've got two former Premier League stars in Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen and former Matilda Amy Duggan joining us to discuss a bumper week of Premier League because there is still more to get through, but we need to go to some of the teams that are not doing so good. And we start with Chelsea. At least they did turn it around at the weekend, but they went in with a loss to Fulham. And, gee, it was really looking grim for Graham Potter. Joao Felix teased everyone. Great first half. Then got sent off. Straight red card. Mudrik announced to the fans. Paraded. Let's see when he makes his debut. And Kunku coming in from RB Leipzig in the summer. Uh, Thomas, what exactly is the vision and the transfer strategy for Chelsea here? Is it just sign as many wide attacking players and creative attacking midfielders as possible and then just hope that 10 of them can work on the pitch with the goalkeeper? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I like the signing of Nkunku. I think he's going to be great for them. Um, but yes, it, it just seems to be uh, just uh, throwing the dice, getting everyone in. Like Mudruk, at, you know, he's, he's such a small sample size. You know, he had a great Champions League uh, this season, scored three uh, goals and, and a couple of assists as well. So that was impressive. But he's still young and, and you give him an eight-year, eight-and-a-high-year contract, which... Uh, is is tremendous for him, obviously. Uh, but they need to sort out, I think, the <laughs> midfield. Uh, you know, Jorginho, you know, what, what happens with Kante. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, there's just going to be so many players that's going to be surplus. Uh, and they're still on big wages. And, and it's going to create a, a management problem for, for Potter. So they need to get players out as well. Um, so, so... So it's going to be such an interesting oh, thing. And you can just see the chopping and changing of the, of the starting lineup. He doesn't know exactly, you know, what, what his strongest side is. And, and uh, that's a problem. They've got massive injury worries, obviously, like yeah. Kante, Reese James, Jorginho, Raheem Sterling, Christian Pulisic. You look, you look at all those names and you go, oh, this will be fun when they all come back, don't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> being out in the, uh, the training paddock and fighting for first spots, I, I, I don't know. He nearly needs a Chelsea one and a Chelsea two. I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> Can you, you, Tommy, you, I was looking back at the team that we had at Sunderland under Peter Reid. And I remember seeing we, we had a cracking team that went up from the Championship to the Premier League because we had, you know, two players in every position basically covering each other out. And I knew that I was behind Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn and me and Danny Dicci awaited for that spot. But it was balanced. We all got on. And I was looking back at the dynamics and I've just seen Chelsea's, they've got three or four players in every position. Uh, and like Amy just said, I don't know how you can actually handle that and manage that kind of thing when everybody is fit. And I really... I, well, I well not when they all think they own that number one spot. 
I they know, all think a- they own number one, Bridgie. When you had a good team, you knew your position. You just said it. I knew I was behind him. These guys don't think like that. They all want to be out there. Yeah, and that's where I think that it's coming. There's a certain point you can you can have too many good players in one squad, like you say, the Eagles get in the way of it and can really disrupt the harmony. And I think that's Graham Potter's, not only a results not going his way, when these players come back fit, if he, I hope he's still in a job, I can't wait to see how he juggles it because it's going to be so interesting. Well, that's the question, isn't it though, Bridgie? Does he have the experience to manage that many top level players who are all fighting for positions? Because if you ask me, was he the right man for that job? I would say no way. Well, another question over the right man for the job probably centres on Liverpool because Jurgen Klopp, his body language is starting to change rather than perhaps protesting or trying to coach his team. He's now just smiling and shaking his head when they concede goals. (laughs) Are we at a point now, Bridgie, where Jurgen Klopp does not have the answers for Liverpool or do we need to allow him to have the season from hell and then perhaps suggest that uh, seventh season syndrome does not apply, uh, he'll be able to turn this ship around in the new campaign or maybe even in the back half of this one. I've got to say, you know, this is, I've been waiting for this moment because I said something when we were doing a gig and pod during the World Cup about I cannot wait for the excuses to come out by, from Klopp. He's either going to blame the players that have played in the World Cup, they're going to be underdone, he's going to blame the players that didn't get any game time and they weren't with his squad to get fit enough and he was going to blame the players that hadn't been involved um, in the World Cup to say that they were underdone. Now, I said that in our podcast, now, my social media, my Twitter, I was getting absolutely abused off Liverpool fans. I loved it. They were going, oh, what do you know? You're rubbish at what you do. You're this, you're that. And I was just thinking, right, here we go, because the results have been absolutely shocking. And Klopp has come out with some of the best excuses I've ever seen. And he just looks to be losing the plot. And I don't want, I, I, I really like Klopp and I really like Liverpool. But I just cannot stand the fact that some of the fans cannot get it through to them. That they are beatable. They are not the greatest team. They've had their moment. And now there's a lot of other teams that are in there to compete. You've got to get with the reality of it. And we don't just say things for a reason to get, an inf- like, to get some influence from it. You know, we... We've been in the game, we understand it, and I can see he is under massive pressure and he's feeling it. There's no doubt about it. He's really crumbling this season and I hope he holds it together um, because he is a fantastic manager and a great guy, but he's just really coming. Yeah, I'm seeing a different side of him, unfortunately, that I never thought I would see. Yeah, I think the problem is that, you know, Liverpool have, have in my view, just been a, a bit complacent and not forward thinking. I think. I think you can criticise Klopp for just hanging on to, to, to certain players. I think we saw, especially against Brighton at the weekend, that, that midfield with, with Henderson, Thia, you know, Thiago and, and Fabinho, he had Oxel and Chamberlain in there as well. You know, they get totally overrun by Caicedo and McAllister. You know, just the youth, yeah. the, the enthusiasm, the, the energy. And you can just see that combination that worked so well for so many years has not had any new blood at it uh you know you got a harvey elliott you got other young players but you know they they should have signed a bellingham a, a year ago um they and they they have the money to splash and and they've got gakpo now but he, he's not in midfield he's a striker um you know so for me they missed the boat a little bit 
Um, and, you know, it's all good and say, oh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and he can't defend, but he's getting totally exposed by, and the back line is getting exposed, and Alisson is actually playing uh, pretty well at the moment, so it could be even worse. And, and so I, I think for Liverpool, it's just, you know, just been sleeping. Yeah, I think they're missing, they're missing the centre center of the park is the biggest miss for me, and I think there's some probably some work to be done in the heart of defence too. Um, you know, they haven't been great this season either. But I, I think if you strip this all back, Liverpool still have a decent roster. And if they were self-confident, uh, showing character, a bit more leadership out there and step up, I think there could be some results. But I'm with you, Bridget. I also sit there and, you know, when Klopp turns around and says, this is the worst performance I've had in my whole career and doesn't have an answer, only has excuses, there's, yeah. there's issues. Let's talk about the relegation battle where the time for excuses has well and truly run out for Everton and West Ham. They've got a six-pointer this weekend. I, I'm amazed that Frank Lampard is still in the job. It feels as though every time we record the gig and pot, I worry that it's going to be left uh, redundant by the announcement that Lampard has been sacked as soon as we, we hit stop on the recording. And yet it hasn't happened for the last two weeks. So let's roll the dice again. Is it David Moyes whose time is up now, though, Bridgie, especially if West Ham are beaten by Everton here? Oh, there's, there's no doubt about it. This is a huge game. I'm, I'm like you, Taylor. I'm still surprised Frank isn't a job. I'm not surprised that Moyes is still in a job um, because he, he I, I like what he's all about, where he'd done that the season before. He still, I did have a laugh of mine four weeks ago. He did say West Ham would finish in European football. Now, I think that three weeks ago, that's another 12 Three or four weeks there's 12 points gone then um since then so i don't believe that but i, I think he's still got that backing of the players um in there by all accounts what i've been hearing whereas frank has totally totally lost it and i think if Moyes does get beat um west ham get beat of everton then that will be that would be the end of Moyes. it's a huge game for both managers i just think frank frank at the moment is I don't know what's going on at Everton um, because the board, there was, you know, there's board, there was owners not sitting in the grandstands. We've seen Mina outside the stadium getting basically, not not attacked, that, it's not the right word, um, getting ambushed and getting questioned by the fans, kind of an intimidation. They've intimidated the owners. So it's, it's a really toxic environment. Um, I can see Everton going down this season. I really can. And if they keep Frank Lampard, they will go down. Uh, West Ham, on the other hand, I, I really think they can pull it through. I do. I, I like what they're about. I like what they've got on paper. I've seen them a few times this season. Some I've admired some of the football, and then other games I've seen them. I'm thinking, oh, you, you've you've lost your identity, what you had last year. But I, I'm going to back. I'm going to back Moyes and see if he can turn it around, and they will beat Everton. And there is no doubt that uh, Everton is a total dumpster fire from you know from from off the pitch uh, with everything that goes on with. With, uh, you know, Mushiri, he's pulled the trigger very quickly before. So, yeah, I'm surprised that Lampard is, is still in, in the job. I, I, I think what West Ham, you know, you know, looking at it, it's their goal scoring that's been their problem. They're, they're, they've conceded the same amount as they did at this point last season, but they've scored 19 goals less. Uh, so that's where all the points have gone. Uh, so, so that's obviously something that Moyes, you know, needs to, to, to solve and the team needs to solve. But I, I agree that... This weekend, uh, I'm sure we'll be one manager less uh, in the Premier League after this weekend because whoever loses this one surely has to go. Well, I'd like to agree with you, but then I, you know, the owner of Everton wrote a letter this week saying, oh, we agree with the supporters, even though we put your CEO in a headlock at a recent game and, um, and our board's not going to the next game because there's uh, 
credible threat um, that they will be, you know, hurt or injured, which I just uh, find outstanding. Like, I just, I don't understand it. But they did say in that letter that Lampard and the club's board have complete faith. So, oh, that's a- you know, he seems to be backing him publicly. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I have seen that before too. Yeah, yeah, we got you back and then tomorrow you get sacked. So who knows? Hey, that's normally the other way around then. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some Aussies overseas now because the transfer window is open and yet in the last seven days there have been no new transfer rumours about Harry Souter. This time last week it was Leicester City. Stoke are currently sitting 20th in the championship. Bridgie, why exactly has the market dried up for Harry Souter? Is he going to get this move to the Premier League in this window? I, I hope he does. I really do, because what we saw in the World Cup, um, and to think how well he did after after his injury, everybody was talking about his injury over here. They were gutted for him, um, and they couldn't believe how well he performed for Australia, especially in the first game against France when he was going to get tested. And he, his, his, whole, you know, his whole tournament was magnificent. So I... He's definitely ticked a lot of boxes. He's definitely on the radar for so many clubs. I'm really surprised he hasn't left yet. I've got to be honest with you. I thought it would have been done and dusted in the first week of the window. Um, there's still a long way to go. I I hope we do see Harry leave um, in this window and because he won't want to be there. He's, he's possibly going to get relegated down to Division 1 the way things are going there. So he will definitely get a move at the end of this season. However, I would love to see him stamp his authority in the Premier League and play a major part. Because I don't think he'll go to one of the top top eight teams. Um, but I think if, if some clubs signed him in the lower division, he, Harry will make a massive impact in the, um, the relegation battle for some team to keep them up in the Premier League or sustain them in mid-table. I, I really rate him that highly. I think the problem for him is that, that Stoke, um, you know, they're going to hold out for, for the right amount for him. Uh, you know they're they're backed by a bet three six five. You know they've got, you know if, if enough money and they know he's a big asset. So, so I think he's he's caught a little bit. He's he's held to ransom a little bit at the moment. You know as players sometimes you you're just stuck in that limbo where, you know it, it comes down to price and and there's nothing you can do. And I think that's where that's where he is right now. And if nobody's willing to 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 pay that asking price, he's sadly not going anywhere. But I agree with Bridget. I, I hope he finds a solution because he, I think he's proven that he can play at the highest level. Well, Tommy, you've just given us the clue there. If they're, if they're sponsored by Bet365, just keep an eye on his odds. As soon as you see his odds <laughs> drop in, um, you'll know he's getting a move. Well, s- someone who is going nowhere is Kai Rolls. He signed a new five-year contract for Hearts. Given he spent a lot of time injured there, it's a new deal after only 13 games. Amy, do you like that for Kai Rolls, or should he have maybe thought about trying to capitalise on his World Cup form and parlay his uh, brief time in Scotland into maybe a move elsewhere? Mate, I think if you can get a five-year contract anywhere as a footballer at the moment after 13 games, you've made the right decision, um, you know, especially after the injury that he had. I say congratulations, you're living a dream. Um, what a great place to be. What a great, you know, good club to be at in a decent league. And I just think what a dream come true for Kyros. Good on you, mate. And we've seen a transfer rumour that Callum Newenhoff, who's been, uh, I, I mean, you might say a revelation for Western Sydney Wanderers, but I think a lot of A-League fans saw this coming when he left Sydney FC and actually started getting some game time. He's been linked to Celtic, Thomas, with the possibility of a sale and then a loan back to Western Sydney Wanderers. Now, obviously, the Antipostacoglu connection and Aaron Moy already being at uh, Celtic means there's plenty of links to Australia, but this would be quite the signing if Callum Newenhoff Gambles on himself, leaves Sydney FC, goes to the Wanderers and suddenly turns that into a move to Celtic. 
Yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, and I, I and I like the uh, the loan back uh, clause if if it uh, comes to fruition because, as you said, uh, he's had a tremendous season this this uh, up until this point uh, at least. And uh, you know he needs more game time. I think it, it, you know the the A League is a great you know stepping stone. Um, and you know then for 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 future you can uh, you you can go to Celtic and and go to Europe and you can try to you know. You know, make it there. Um, so, so yeah, um, I like this sort of uh, deal, and and it's hopefully something we'll see a bit more. Um, uh, we saw it with Grant Qual as well. He stayed at um, you know at um, Central Coast for 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 half of this season. So, yeah, it's a great thing if he can do that. So we'll we'll see. One other Australian overseas, but it's a manager, not a player. Patrick Kisnorbo, Twa lost 5-1 to Lille. They are three points above relegation. I mean, Kisnorbo joined them in a relegation battle. They <laughs> remain in a relegation battle, and they've got second-place Lons coming up next. Uh, Thomas, this is the, the harsh reality of European football for Kisnorbo, but uh, the challenges don't get any easier, do they? No, and, uh, you know, again, he, he'll be on a fight uh, right to the end of the season, and I think that's obviously the, the aim of Trois is, is to just stay up, uh, and then hopefully he can help build... Uh, the team uh, from there, I think uh, we saw at the weekend against Lille that they were pretty exposed at the back and uh, looked a bit sluggish. So he's, he's definitely got a job on his hand. And, and as you said, it's not going to get easier this weekend. But, you know, he'll be judged uh, at the end of the season. And, and he's got uh, games where, you know, he'll have good, good chances of picking up points and, you know, just pick up enough points. Uh, but, you know, overall, it's just great to see uh, an Australian manager in, in one of the top five leagues. You know, that that's, you know, we need to, you know, appreciate it and, and just uh, cross our fingers that he can get the job done. Let's talk about the WSL. Amy Duggan, the floor is yours. Plenty of Matildas in action. So where would you like to take us for the top headline out of the weekend? Can we go past Sam Kerr saving the day? Um it was absolutely outstanding. Arsenal played Chelsea. This is a top-of-the-table clash as we welcome the WSL back on Optus Sport. Um, it ends in a draw, which I thought Arsenal were really lucky for, uh, purely because the contact made on Caitlin Ford, uh, again, we discussed it on Monday morning, was way outside the box. So they can take that penalty. Beautifully delivered by Kim Little, as always. But I think, um, you know... Chelsea didn't even have an opportunity on goal for 72 minutes and it looked like this was going to be an upset and then of course who saves the day none other than Sam Kerr with her head right in the middle of the box so that's got to be a headline I think the other headlines of course Manchester United smashing Liverpool 6-0 but the best news is is that we saw some of our Aussies back on the pitch including Alana Kennedy um, who played you know the full 90 for the first time in a long time so great news for mostly great news for Aussies maybe not so much for Remy Seamson, who's just gone over there and, uh, and and her side manages their first win of the season without her. We'll see what happens there. That's a watch this space. But um, great to have a lot of our Matildas uh, back on the pitch, playing well and getting minutes, especially ahead of this upcoming international window, which we'll see them on home soil. And then we can, can we just touch on the 46,000 that was there, the second highest attendance, and, and then leading into the half a million tickets that's been sold for the Women's World Cup here in Australia and New Zealand. So, you know, Women's World, you know, Women's Football is in a great place, and uh, let, let's hope we can, you know, I think, is there a million tickets up for grabs or, or something like that? Uh, you know, we need to get them, uh, we, we need to get them sold because it's going to be a great event. 
yeah, not just here at home, but also over there where I know there are calls to um, to have these women's games in bigger stadiums yeah, now, which, which I just, you know, keep growing and growing and the rate that it's exponential growth at the moment and, and it's very, very welcome. So I wanted to ask about one of the teams that will be playing at the World Cup, Amy. You mentioned Manchester United beating Liverpool 6-0. Be honest, are England going to miss Beth Mead if Ella Toon and Alessio Russo... <laughs> are in this sort of form because Ellen White has retired, clearing the path for Russo to start for England. And yep. Beth Mead is going to miss the World Cup with a torn ACL. But that it, it seems as though has Serena Wiegmann actually stumbled across an even better combination of players. Well, I, I don't know so much about the combination, but what I will say is that she went public with all of her players and said, you know, there's been some retirements. There will be changes, as you've mentioned. Ellen White's retired. Jill Scott's also retired. A couple of the, the old guard now with that beautiful medal around the neck are, are moving out of the game. That's opening up new opportunities. She already had great young depth in that squad. I think this is a fresh start for all the players. I think the league is going ahead in leaps and bounds with the investment that's being made. So the pipeline is there the opportunity for the players to be training and playing in top quality environments and and playing not just in a good WSL but also in competitions like the Champions League is only adding to um to one the draw card to the league but also what an amazing opportunity for all these English players and we've seen a few other movements to allow players to get more game time to impress the coach she is sitting pretty with a with a massive squad of players uh, heaps and heaps of depth, young players all coming through. Um, I don't think they'll miss Beth at all. I think she would be, you know, welcomed, but I don't think they'll miss her at all because I think you've got so many bright young talents coming through who are stepping up with this confidence to just get the job done and they want to pull on that Lioness jersey. Bridgie, how do you feel about my suggestion? England better without the player that was voted second best in the world behind Alexia Pateas? No team's better without a player like that quality. Of that quality, um, yeah, we've stumbled on a couple of gems, but yeah, Beth Mead, it's been absolutely, you know, it's tragic what's happened, and yes, she will be, she'll be, she will be missed, but uh, yeah, I still think we're going to win the World Cup. But we'll go back to back. It's there's no point in following the men's world, the men's um, England team anymore, because we will not win anything. This girl team, the Lionesses, they've won the Euros, they're going to win the World Cup. I am on board and supporting the Lionesses all the way. I'm sorry. I love the Matildas, but nah, it's the Lionesses for me. Me and my daughter are going to be, me and my daughter are going to be um, fighting in the final when it's England against um, Australia in the final. Hopefully the draw falls that way. Can that even happen? I'm not sure. <laughs> Good uh, Bridget, Bridget, I'm so happy we got this on record. So I can't wait for the Euros to come around and, and for you just to dismiss England from the top and, and not cheer for them. So, you know, okay, great to hear that. Right, back to the women's game, please, <laughs> Dario. Back to the women's game, please. Just on that, Optus Sport has a couple of matches between New Zealand and the United States coming up live and exclusive. And, Amy, New Zealand is, is more or less the home of uh, the final stage of World Cup qualifying. We've just seen uh, Maria Jose Cote Rojas win A-League Women's Player of the Month, and she is now off in training camp with Chile, getting ready for the playoff against either Senegal or Haiti. So Senegal and Haiti play each other, and then Chile plays the winner. Amy, right now, would you say after seeing Cote uh, up close in the Australian League for the first couple of months of the season that it is as simple as Chile win, or could we get one of the great fairy tales with a, a team like Haiti qualifying for the World Cup? I think Chile will do this easy. Um, 
it'd be great to have a fairy tale. But I think the question is, Tay, you know, this is part of qualifying. And once you get to the big stage, you also need to be able to compete on the big stage. So you do want the best teams there. Um, Kaurei Rojas, you know, we've seen her a few times on Aussie soil now, and, and she is always an entertainer and scoring some great goals. So um, I think Chile will get the job done. But I do want to mention this for, for people out there that think, you know, we're six months away from a World Cup. It, it's not that long away. And these teams, all of them, you know, the Lionesses, the Matildas, um, the US national team playing today in New Zealand kickoff 2 p.m. on Optus Sport. Please make sure you tune in. And again on Saturday, uh, also at two o'clock, the, these teams are only coming together in FIFA windows now. And if you break that down, it's something like 25 days together in camp. And I think six, you know, uh, recorded matches to get your combinations right ahead of the World Cup. It's really not a lot of time with their national teams in that environment with their coaches. Um, We are down to the business end and results are really going to matter from here on in. So super exciting stuff. Um, And I do think the US will get the job done today over New Zealand before you ask me. Let's go to one last item here, because if you are a fan of culture, Optus Sport now has an offering for you. The Supercoppa Italiana is live and exclusive on Optus Sport on Thursday morning, Australian Eastern Daylight Time at 6am. Now, I don't need you to go into any depth. I just want to know, panel, who you think is going to win. Milan versus Inter. It is a great match. There is a trophy on the line. And obviously, it's very exciting having added the DFB Pokal, a bit of German football, to the Optus Sports stable. Now we get to add a bit of Italian football as well. So, Thomas, Bridgie, Amy, who have you got, Milan or Inter, to win the Supercoppa Italiana live and exclusive on Optus Sport? I've, I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for, for, for Milan since, since the good old days with Rijkaard and Hullet and all that, uh, Van Basten. So, um, you know, it's going to be a tight one. Uh, we got a Danish player, Simon Kerr, for Milan. So, uh, yeah, I'll take them all day. I'm also going with Milan and only uh, the romantic in me in history. Similar to you, Thomas. Um, they were one of the first jerseys I ever bought from overseas was an AC Milan jersey. So I'm going to stick with them. And they're ahead on the table by a little bit. What, what a way to finish. We all, we all agree on something finally. It's absolutely <laughs> the trifecta is coming in. AC Milan for me. And again, just one of the teams I loved watching um, when, I was, when I was a kid. Van Basten, Hullet, Rijkaard. And like you just said there, Amy, a jersey that I absolutely cherished when I was a kid and loved wearing it. So I'm, um, it's, it's red and black for me all the way. We all agree on something. Sorry, I'm taking Inter. Forza Nelatori. All right. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen, Amy Duggan, for joining us on the Pot. A pleasure to have your company for another week. Thank you. Our pleasure, Theo. Thank you, Tay. Yes, a big thanks to Thomas Sorensen, Michael Bridges and Amy Duggan. The Premier League continues with Manchester United hosting Crystal Palace from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday morning. And you can see Manchester City against Tottenham at 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Friday morning. Saturday night kicks off with Liverpool against Chelsea at 11.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time, followed by a four-game goal rush at 2am Australian Eastern Daylight Time and Newcastle's trip to Crystal Palace from 4.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday morning. There's also the huge clash between Arsenal and Manchester United at 3.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday. La Liga continues on Saturday morning with Mallorca hosting Celta Vigo from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. 
See Barcelona play Getafe from 4.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday, followed by Real Madrid's trip to Bilbao to face Athletic Club from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. The Supercoppa Italiana pits arch-rivals Milan against Inter from 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday. Enjoy some calcio live and exclusive on Optus Sport. And if you want to see more Italian football, then make sure you jump on the Optus Sport socials and let us know. And the WSL is jam-packed with Matilda stars, including Alana Kennedy, Hayley Razzo, Mary Fowler and Emily Gilnick, who could all feature in Manchester City's match against Aston Villa from 10.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday. See Sam Kerr's Chelsea play Liverpool at 11.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday, starting an overnight of five live games on Optus Sport. Make sure you rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegenpod.